Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cobb. We're with Comic Michael Pagilio. Michael Pagilio, how the hell are you? I'm damn good. How are you? Uh, doing good. Thank you so much for coming on. I follow you everywhere. I mean, everybody can go to your uh, website, michaelvirgiliocomedy.com, but also Twitter. That's the big time. That's where I'll be retweeting all your funny stuff from Michael Virgilio one. But on Instagram, you're the big time. You got you know that and YouTube. You got Michael Virgilio. I'm the one and only, which I'm not. There's a crazy amount of Michael Virgilios out there. Who would have thunk the, it? Yeah, what the fuck is up with that? What's what's the uh, ethnicity of Virgilio such that Michael is the common first name? Uh, well, it is Italian, and um, uh, it apparently Virgilio's all named their firstborn son Michael because there's oh, a bunch Lord. of us out there. Okay. But uh, yeah, I had a guy reach out to me uh, at one point, which was a hilarious question. He just writes to me. He's like, "Hey, are we related?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> His last name was Virgilio, though. I'm like, "You're yeah. the one reaching out to me. Maybe you do some research and find out if we're yeah. related first. But yeah, he, it turns out I did. I did do some research, and I had okay. to write back to him, and I was like, you actually, it turns out, are a member of my grandfather's <laughs> secret other family. No. Yeah. No, oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my God, you're doing 23 and Me to help this guy with his journey, I and mean, it's going to take him all lifetime long to track down all the Regilios, I guess, even the Michael Regilios. The Michael Regilios. There was a Nick Regilio who played for the Texas Rangers. Okay. And then, amazingly, there is a famous boxer out of the netherlands whose first name is Virgilio, and his name is Virgilio tour t-u-r-r with some umlauts thrown in oh my lord and he has a men's clothing store called Virgilio's in the netherlands and i was on a rock tour in the netherlands and only in the netherlands particularly this was the late 90s before you know uh you could buy marijuana anywhere in los angeles like you can now only in the netherlands in the 90s could you forget to go to the store named your last name <laughs> well i mean you're gonna i mean you won't have to work too hard to be the biggest Virgilio out there because you're bi-coastal i mean you're, you're hanging out with todd mondesi and the crew man tell me about that story well first first what's going on like what what projects do you have coming up this is going to come out tomorrow so what uh big uh, shows you got coming up that you're excited about Oh, I'm excited about all my shows because I love telling the jokes from the stage. I don't care if the stage is the corner of a cafe or a Chinese restaurant, which I've done. Nice. Uh, Have you done a laundromat yet? I've heard that's another Chinese restaurant-esque. No, I haven't done that one. But there used to be the upstairs of a Chinese restaurant in Los Angeles that people would do. Okay. And uh, it was it was pretty crazy. The, uh, is that the rickety staff... stage? No, it was called. Okay. Uh, God, I mean, no meaning. They, they said the stage was like. I mean, at one point there was a stage that was kind of like a surfboard where it just kind of moved. But I guess that's a different one. I mean, in LA, I'm sure you know this. People do stand up absolutely everywhere. People do it in their living rooms, in cafes, in restaurants, in shops. I mean, yeah, John Moskowitz. I think he was out there for a bit. He might be back in New York City now, but he turned his carport into like an open mic. John Moskowitz. Oh. Wow, yeah. I mean, there's there's a famous open mic called like Garage Behind Food for Less, <laughs> and <laughs> that's the one I've never done. I feel like oh, I've done no. every open mic in L.A., but that was the one that was like on Friday nights at like 11 p.m. And I was always like, you know what? I'm gonna skip the Garage Behind <laughs> the Food for Less. But now you're you might be missing out. The the FOMO is huge with Garage Behind the Food for Less. Yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, tell me, yeah, tell me, like the bi-coastal nature of your. I mean, just what has you able to kind of fly all all over the world? You're doing rock tours in Europe. You're doing a Todd Modesty show in uh, New York, and you're all, you're in LA currently. 
I am in LA currently. Well, I am from LA, and I moved to LA to play the rock music. Uh, I actually moved to LA to do stand up and play rock music. I'd never, I'd play, I went to Berkeley College of Music where I studied guitar. Okay. And I wanted to move to LA and I was like, dude, I want to do it all. I want, I, I love comedy. I want to try comedy. I want to start a band. I want to do it all. And I started a band when I got here that started doing well instantly. And it put my really? plans to do comedy on hold for uh, about 10 years. Okay. Are you allowed to say the band or is it irrelevant? I mean, it's kind of irrelevant, but yeah, the last, the last band that I was in that I was really proud of was called Useless Keys. We got a ton of radio play. We were heavy Nirvana meets Pink Floyd-esque. I also have a record I did with Steve Albini, who produced uh, Nirvana and all those bands. That's called The Dark Matters. You can find that on Spotify. I'm real proud of that one, too. Oh, good. And it was Steve Albini. Did you record with him in Chicago? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we went to Electric Audio, which is the name of his studio. They, that, I mean, to get off on comedy for just one second there, yeah. it was so cool because you get to live in the studio. He has an apartment above the studio. No. And for yeah. once, Steve tells you that the recording session ends when you say the recording session is over. Uh-huh. He's like, I start to fade around 23 hours, but if things are still cooking, we're still going. We wow. go until it, while, the, while the magic is happening, we do it. We cut the whole thing live. And the best, coolest thing that I've never seen uh, had a studio do before, which was you stay in an apartment above the studio. And after the session was done, he's like, I'm going to leave everything on, all the mics on, all everything on. If you guys want to come down at four in the morning, five in the morning and just rehearse and get ready for the next day, go for it. Wow. And, you know, who can sleep when you're recording with Steve Albini? So we did it. We went down at like three in the morning. We got started jamming on the songs. The headphones were all still up. The amps were still on. I mean, this guy really is for the artist. But that's cool because it's kind of the opposite. I just watched the Sound City documentary and it's just like, it just sounds so expensive for anything other than digital. So the fact that what Steve Albini is allowing you to kind of record all the time is because it's digital and it's costing him nothing, right? No, just the opposite. He doesn't have a single computer anywhere in the studio. Everything's so, to tape. Everything's so to he's tape. just ruining all that tape? Is tape cheap? Oh, that's expensive. I guess not. No, it is expensive. That's okay. the thing. And wow. this is what, and we're so off the comedy thing, but it's, this is what makes it so great. Because if you, you, you record, you listen back to the take, and if that ain't it, you tape over it. You, there's no safety net with 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 digital music you record and you go ah, it's pretty good we'll hang on to that one see if maybe you want to hang on to it you can't fix anything there's no right. digital fixing there's no pitch correction there's nothing you have to nail it one time as a band and nail it right and it just raises the stakes and it makes it so much better and he won't let you play to a click track you just you've got to have good time you've got to play well you've got to sing in tune you've got to do it all you've got to be a real musician to record with this guy and it made me raise my game in a way that like i i will forever be grateful to him for it but it's but it's like say like if you told him i didn't come in last night he would have been like okay we can tape over that right yeah well, I mean, we... when it's tape you could tape over it once right yeah, you can tape okay. over it a bunch of times. Yeah. I mean, it does right. degenerate after a while, but <clears throat> yeah, you just keep doing takes. And every time that you say that ain't it, you tape over it, and that take is gone forever. There's no going back to it. There's no saying, ah, eh, three times ago was actually pretty good. Yeah. Nope. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, you know, if it's costly, it would just come out of your ass. But um, but if you're allowed to tape over it, if nothing happened that night, that makes sense. But yeah, so I have a guitarist who, uh, so you'll hear at the beginning of our episode, it's introduced by our music, me and my buddy. We came to New York to play music. And so he's one of these guitar shredders. And so it's a lot of, like, he opened for Steve I. He won a big guitar contest. So he's one of these guys who just, you know, plays a thousand notes a second and things like that. And there's, you know, 15 overdubs now because he's, like, you know, harmonizing with himself 10 times and stuff. And so uh, so we also had our musical aspirations. So I think there's probably some similarity between comedy and New York as far as the type of people that it attracts. 
Of course. I mean, it's this, it's the same spirit, which is I want to, I want to contribute creatively. I yeah. always say that the creative itch, I, I, I don't mind scratching it anyway. Good. It's the creative itch. It seems to be universal with me. Any way I can scratch, it feels good. You know, I'm not particular in that way. Yeah, yeah we're in a, we're in a Pixies cover band right now, so I'll be I'll be going to Astoria Soundworks over the weekend and and banging out some Pixies songs. So that's a Steve Albini band too, I think. Of course, yes, yeah, Surfer Rosa. That was uh, one of my favorite Steve Albini records. All right, well, real quick, tell me about the, you know, like how the hell, you know, you're out there in LA, you came to, uh, you went to LA to play music and do comedy. At what point did you find yourself in New York City just when you kind of had your act home? You just kind of came out here and, here yeah, and toured I just a bit? Had some, I did. I got some great opportunities. I was doing pretty well in LA. I was getting uh, put out, uh, the, the improv here has a bunch of satellite clubs. They'd sent me out a few times to do residencies in Tahoe, where you live for uh, six nights in the hotel there, which is super cool. Oh, cool. You perform every night in the casino, really hones your chops. And uh, as COVID started to go into full lockdown, I, I started doing online open mics we all did we all started doing the zoom mics and it occurred to me and i'm sure it occurred to a number of other people although it didn't seem to occur to any of my friends in la why am i doing zoom mics with my friends in la yeah why don't i do zoom mics from every city in the world and get to know other comics yeah and i did and i just really connected with the new york scene i mean really connected with it why, and, why do you uh, think that is I don't know. I mean, just because they were hustlers, they were on the mics with you too. I mean, they were trying to do LA mics too, and yeah, a lot of people were just like, "Hell, why the yeah? Why why am I not doing things internationally?" Even absolutely, I did mics in Ireland. I did mics out of London. I, you know, different scenes have different styles, and I, I think there is something to, if I'm just being totally honest, I think there's something to people seeing you when you're more honed, when you're sharper. Okay. And you know, I came up in the LA scene, and all the comics know me in the LA scene, and they saw me as a developing comic. Whereas in New York, these comics, they got to see me, a guy that had really put in the hours and really put in the time. Okay. And that was their first impression of me. And I think that I, I connected with a bunch of them. They were super sweet. And then this opportunity came up, where my wife, uh, who's getting her PhD in philosophy, okay. had to teach at Temple University for one semester. Okay. Temple's a relative hop, skip, and a jump, or at least I convinced <laughs> myself it was a relative hop, skip, and a jump to New York. And man, I spent a lot of time in the car. Let me so tell how, you. How long was it? How, how long was that hop, skip, and a jump? It was about a two and a half to three hour hop to New York and about, you know, an hour and a half jump back at three in the morning. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, so, yeah, but what you were able to kind of do uh, actually in person shows during the pandemic then? No, this was uh, okay, starting in September. So, I mean, pan you, you okay. know, who, the, 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 the line that delineates the beginning and the end of the pandemic is a very blurry one. So you okay. tell me, was that pandemic or not? I don't was know. September 21? September 21, yeah. Sure, yeah. Were you doing outdoor shows? Were you, were you doing Central Park or the Tiny Cupboard? Where were you at? I did every. I did Gotham. I okay. did Tiny Cupboard. Okay. I did a bunch of shows at Eastville. I actually had my own show at Eastville. I had oh, cool. a, a monthly show there. How the fuck do you uh, swing that? Do they just are are they just kind of you know? Yeah, I'll give you a show if you can put this many people in the seats. More or less. I mean, I approached him and I said, "Look, I I I've, I've done this before. I've promoted. I've produced a bunch of shows in L.A. before. Uh, give me a shot." And he was nice enough to give me a shot. I got Judy Gold as my headliner for uh, the first show, okay. and uh, Al Lubell for my second. Uh, and so <laughs> yeah, we just, I was yeah. 
and it was super fun. But yeah, so I spent all my time in the car driving from Philly to New York because God bless Philadelphia. God bless it. It's just not the scene New York is. If you're going to be on the East Coast, it was worth the time in the car to be in New York. And I was connecting with New York comics. I was making friends with New York comics. A couple of New York comics were putting me up at their place and booking me on shows and helping me out. And it just, I felt blessed. And to be honest with you, man, I miss it. I really miss it. Okay. So yeah. Who are some of the comics that you really kind of connected with? If you can say, can you just mention a handful or no? Well, Adam Mueller was a guy that I met on, um, on the zoom mics and he kind of put me up on a few of his shows and introduced me to a bunch of people, but Sean Gibbs, I don't, do you remember him? He, yeah, he was with, uh, does he hang with Jeff Greenspan? I'm not sure. Sean Gibbs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I haven't had him on yet. Well, he had a Zoom uh, uh, mic, and that's and he was uh, he was kind enough to put me up at his place. And he was going out of town a bunch of times, and he would just let me stay at his place in Brooklyn. Okay. And so I just that's amazing. It was so amazing. <laughs> Airbnb in Brooklyn is probably yeah, I, I stay in a hotel right now, but Airbnb is uh, you know just not much cheaper. So I can't imagine how much you would have paid in a nicer you know in an okay decent part of Brooklyn. I so, know, and he had so a nice place with two roof decks, and yeah, I felt like I had arrived, man. I really did. I got to do Greenwich Village Comedy club i did a bunch of stuff in the parks like you said which was so fun so fun i got to do both the roof of tiny cupboard and the the venue itself on a couple occasions i think it's closing i think think they're having problems with it with their lease or whatever yeah so i mean and so you hooked up with todd mondesi and you had the biggest experience known to man tell me about hurricane ida (laughs) hurricane ida so yeah i hooked up with todd he put me on his show and i'm i i look back and i can't believe that this didn't occur to me Like all the news is saying, we're going to get hit with a mega, mega storm tomorrow, man. Mega storm. I said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going for it. I drove from Philadelphia to Brooklyn. We went to do the show. And by the time it was showtime, and this was in a basement, the rain was coming down so hard, so hard. I'm the out of town guy. So they give me what is usually the less desirable slot, which is the first slot. Okay. turned out to be the only slot of the night. <laughs> so I get to do my, 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 my 10 minutes. And uh, the second I finish, the, the bartender at this place um, says, everybody's got to move to the front of the room. We got water coming in. We got water coming into the club. And you look back and it's turning into a lake at the back of the room, man. It's coming in hard. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, this is a really bad scene. I remember even saying to the gentleman running the PA, who I don't remember what his name was, I was like, dude, I don't know if you should keep going because like, you got water <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. And he actually said to me, he goes, oh, don't worry about it. The, it's a wireless mic. I was like, the, <laughs> the mic may be wireless, but I assure you the PA in the speakers are not. Yeah. And the next gentleman took the stage and he started going. He got two minutes in and there was a loud pop and the PA <sighs> went out. And everyone boogied out of that place. Oh, no. Did you, did you have a good set before it was canceled? I had a good set before it was canceled. <laughs> okay. I went to bed. They, everyone wanted to go to a bar, and I was going to a bar <laughs> with them. As, by the way, as it felt like a bucket was being poured on my head, which is not news to any of you New Yorkers. You, you were all there. You witnessed this. But it, it was crazy. It was a bucket of water just being perpetually poured over your head. Okay. And I said, a little voice in my head said, dude, don't, don't go to a bar. You got you to gotta go figure out your night. So I went back to the car, and I called my wife. And she's on all the apps. She's on the weather app. She's on um, she's on Waze and Google Maps and everything. And she's looking and she's seeing alert, alert. And she's like, give me your exact location. I tell her the street and the exact block I'm on. Okay. And she can see that flooding is happening all around me. Wow. 
And she says, I think you need to get out of Brooklyn is, right is that, now. Is that on a driving app? Like driving apps are able to say what's flooded? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Real-time driving apps, they'll tell you about road hazards in the whole nine yards. <laughs> you are on an island, Michael Virgilio. <laughs> I was on an island <laughs> in a hurricane. And okay. so she's like, I think... I, I was like, I think I'm going to spend the night in the car. And she was like, I think you're going to drown if you spend the night in the yeah. car. I think you need to get out of there. So with her on multiple apps and on the phone the whole time, she's like, I'm like, I'm heading down this street. She's like, no, 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 don't go down the street. It's flooded out. Take a left, take a left, take a right, take a right, take a left. It took me an hour to try and get out of Brooklyn. And anyone that was there knows that, that it was insanity. But man, broken down cars everywhere, trucks pulled over. And it seemed to me the problem was that the sewer caps were coming off the sewers. They were blasting off the sewers. And then cars were hitting these open sewers at full speed or even 20 miles an hour. And their tires were blowing out. Okay. I swear to you, I saw 60, 70 car accidents that night between no New York and Philly. So wow. finally, somehow I get out of um, Brooklyn and I get on the Verrazano Bridge. I'm yeah. like, okay, I think I'm getting there. And then, nope, Verrazano shut down. It, it, it puts me on Staten Island. Staten Island is even somehow worse than Brooklyn. There's just cars and flooding and rivers everywhere. And I've got my wife on the phone. I said, look, there's a Target parking lot. It doesn't look like it's flooded. I'm going to go sleep in the car. She said, no, no, no. Let's try this one last thing. I see a route that I think will get you back out. And we, we snake around. I mean, I'm going down streets. I'm stopping. I'm going, nope, that's a lake. Turn around, go back. Nope, that's a lake. Turn around, go back. Finally, I get out onto the Korean War Veterans Highway. Okay. All the lights are out. Not another car on the road other than unfortunate souls pulled over on the side with their having trouble. Yeah. And somehow, I don't know how because I got back to Philly that night. We turned on the news the next day and we saw what had happened the night before. And everybody was like, how did you get from Brooklyn to Philadelphia in that? And I don't yeah. know. I Even don't on know. that highway, like, do you think that the, the seas parted for you from some divine intervention? Like, how the hell I, were they broken down? And then did you see that that highway you made it out of was later flooded or no? Yes. In fact, it was. I was on oh, 95 fuck. South and that okay. became completely flooded probably an hour after I traveled it. Uh to get back to Philly. So and as far as the divine intervention, yes. I started to think that I was the divine, <laughs> that it was the seas were parting, not for me, but because of me. Follow me, New Yorkers. But I love that you had a spotter in the form of your wife on the, on the phone and the apps. I know. Yeah. That was the divine intervention. Actually. That was the, that was the voice from the heavens. And that was her voice coming over the, the car stereo the whole time. So, yeah, I think, I think one time, the closest I can think is that when I moved to New York City, we were lost in Jersey. Like, we couldn't get back. I mean, we we've had a hotel in New Jersey. We were going back into New York, and we couldn't find our way back to the New Jersey hotel. And it's like, I didn't have any fucking technology at all. So I'm there with my my, my sister and brother-in-law in, in Illinois being like, dude, get on the Internet and show me how the fuck to get out of here. Because, like, like, if you don't have the technology, man, but it sounds like your wife is fully equipped, man. I mean, I hope you paid I hope you paid her back somehow. I hope you gave her a foot rub or something like that. Lots of foot rubs. You nailed it, actually. That is the currency. That, uh, that is the currency in our home is foot rubs. Yeah, but it was a, f man. So your so takeaway was, I, I love this, the Michael Virgilio takeaway is, I am the divine intervention. Hey, I'm, I'm an entertainer. You can't do this job without having an insane ego. Just own it. Play into it. But I love that you're like, okay, well, you know, there's a creative itch. I can scratch it somehow. But I mean, is there anything from the, I don't know, the successful rock life that you've kind of, um, I don't know, like funneled into your comedy career, either marketing or act content wise? No, actually, I... <laughs> 
I mean, yes and no, in that I do still play in sort of a band with a very famous comedy writer by the name of Dino Stamatopoulos, who was, uh, he was the head writer on Mr. Show, he wrote for Letterman, Conan, then he had his own show called Moral Oral, which is what he's sort of really known for. Actually, what he's really known for is he played Starburns on um, Community, and uh, he and I have a band, uh, which is I don't want to, he, he doesn't like it when I call it a comedy band because, you know, but it's it's coming out of his brain, so it can't help but be. Is he the lyricist? Bit, what's that? Is, yeah, is he's he the, the singer, lyricist. He's okay. the singer, singer, rhythm guitarist, and lyricist. Yeah, who's going to show up to those shows except comedy fans? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's all comedy fans that show up. And as of late, uh, the first bunch of shows we did, I really just wanted to play guitar and just be mm-hmm. a musician in it. But then when we started having like opening acts and things like that, and I was watching other comics, I couldn't help myself. I was like, hey, I want to open the show. I want to do I want to do 10. I want to do 10 minutes. You know, okay. I was actually we just did one with Ron Lynch, who's a phenomenal uh, comedy actor. Okay. Uh, you know, you'd know him from everything from Bob's Burgers to uh, home movies. Okay. And and he worked it in where the band opened the show and we played some shows. And then he did a bit where he was like, you guys are kind of talentless. Does, do any of you do anything else like that's worth anything? I was like, well, I, I have a few jokes I could tell, Ron. He's like, get up here and tell some jokes. So like, we had, we'd worked the whole bit out already. But yeah. Dude, I love that. And so, I mean, are you, I mean, as far as the dichotomy between New York and L.A., you know, what can you see as far as the, you know, the writing and the performance is, you know, is L.A. all performance and New York is all content? Like, it, it draws two different types of people, right? Like, why did you choose L.A. to pursue your comedy and rock dreams instead of New York? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, L.A. kind of chose me for, okay. for for music. And then I was okay. just here when, when the comedy, uh, when the comedy bug finally bit me hard. Uh, okay. But yeah, I, you know, like so many young guys, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And somebody said, we're moving to L.A. You want to go? And just, you know, it was actually during a snowstorm on April 1st in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> I was walking to a bar with my buddy and he goes, you know who the April Fools are? Us. Why do we live somewhere that it snows on April 1st? Okay. Said, Let's get out of here, man. Let's move did to you, L.A. Did you take a car? No, he he ended up. Did you get on a fucking plane like that's just so ridiculous to me that I took a car. Like it's like I had a I had a used Porsche from CarMax, but like, like I didn't have to drive cross country. You know, like the buddy I, I moved there with, like my co-poet at the time, like he didn't drive at all, so I drove the sixteen, seventeen hours, whatever the fuck it is. It's like I didn't need to do that if I had, you know, get on a fucking plane. And so if you guys weren't gonna, I guess you know, make sense to take a car with you cross country to use in LA. But it's nice that you used a plane, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for one, the cars you buy in LA, it's a little little hint. The used cars are better because they don't go through winters. So you wouldn't want to take a car from the East Coast to LA anyway because uh-huh. the used cars out here are a little bit higher. Okay. But uh, I, it's, I, it's almost like a story, uh, you know, a success story, except for the success part. But I did get on a plane <laughs> with okay. $60 in my pocket and wow. landed in LA and somehow made it work. Now, yes. normally so, yeah, when you hear that story, people go, and look at me now. I showed up here with nothing. And now look at me. I'm getting an Oscar or a Grammy or whatever. I don't so have that do part of the story yet, but I do have the part of the story that I'm still alive. Uh, and so, I mean, I guess, you know, what I did is we jumped on Craigslist. We found a place, Craigslist for the job. And, you know, I kind of, I moved back, you know, between Chicago and New York maybe four or five times. But, um, like, yeah, what would you do to kind of find that first job and find that first apartment with $60 to your name? I slept in a dude's basement on an air mattress for three months. In return for what services? 
Yeah, I mean, it was and just... <laughs> yeah, that's my, my first answer. I actually arrived in L.A. during a crazy heat wave. It was 120 degrees every day, which is really rare here. Less rare nowadays than it used to be. But And, like, my third day here, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a spacey guy. I'm always thinking about stuff, fantasizing about stuff, working out stuff in my head. And I was walking down the street in L.A., and I walked into a cactus on 120, <laughs> on my way to a job interview. And, and it broke open and it, it, it quenched your thirst with all of its water inside again. No, all the little <laughs> prickers went into my skin, but I couldn't turn back. Now I'm sweating. I'm hot. I've got prickers under my skin. I walked into a cactus and I had to go to a job interview. So wow. how did you score was, the job interview? Call around or Craigslist or what did you do? Just like wait, wait tables maybe? Yeah, this was at a, a restaurant on uh, oh. Los Feliz Boulevard in Los Angeles, California. They're like, you looked the part, man. You got the cactus. You got the cactus coming out of your face, man. I think the people yeah. love it. <laughs> but the, yes, he just kind of did the the weights, and and I guess you know I would have smart to I would have been smart to do the same thing. But I, I graduated law school, so it's like, well, I got a buddy who will be a host or a busser or whatever first, and he he got jobs within the weeks because they try out there in New York City. Um, but then it took me longer and I got a legal job. And so it kind of worked out the way we thought it would, but, um, yeah, waiting tables, if I was any good at it, man, that would have been the smart move. Yeah. I mean, those early days for me in LA were just phenomenal. This city really can be magical for a young person. And, you know, I got here, started a band, things started going well for us. Uh, we were on tour and getting noticed and putting out records and all that stuff with, I went from being a total loser with no prospects Okay. in boston to feeling like i was on top of the world in la within and that's six where months. you met your wife right yeah and then i went back to feeling like a total loser uh, a couple of years later but i had a little okay. respite there where i didn't feel like a total loser but did you meet your wife during that window because you're a big rock star or no no actually okay. she uh she and i we always talk about it we're sure we must have been in the same rock clubs at the at the same time but uh, no i met her actually at the improv here in uh, la at a comedy show she's a huge comedy fan and she's a huge nice. supporter of comedy she's a huge supporter of me and that's just i mean i owe her the world i mean she she gets it and it's it's so rare i found uh in the in the world of romance, when somebody really says, you got to do you, I get you, I get what you're going for. And I've just been head over heels in love with her since the night I met her. Dude, I, I already like her because of the story where she played spotter for you during Hurricane Ida, when you parted the seas. Yeah, exactly. Dude, well, we're going to follow all these, I mean, just the bi-coastal and worldly tours of Michael Rogelio, Michael Rogelio 1, Twitter, that's where I'll be retweeting your funny stuff. Um, and then, of course, he's the most famous Michael Rogelio on YouTube and Instagram. Michael Virgilio, thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother.